If you have Genesis chapter 3 open, we're, we're walking through an Advent series that begins today, uh, and we'll walk through, all the way through the month of December leading up to the coming of Christ. And so we'll, we'll be walking through the whole Bible. We're going to start in Genesis and walk through looking at the Old Testament, going into the New Testament, and seeing how there's always been this story of this coming king that is on his way to save us. And so we're going to begin all the way at the beginning of time uh, as creation happened and the fall happened. We're going to look at the story of how there was one prophesied of a coming king found in Genesis chapter Three. So if you have your copy of God's Word open, would you please stand in honor of the reading of His Word? And we'll read verses 14 and 15, but really today I'm just going to spend our entire time looking at verse 15 and the promises found in it. The Word of God says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is sometimes difficult to see that you are a sovereign God working out your sovereign plans in our life. So Lord, we pray today as we lift our eyes up to see your grand plan of saving us, Lord, may we be encouraged to know that you care just as much about the plans of our lives as well. So Lord, may we be comforted by this great gospel hope found in Genesis chapter 3. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we come up on December of 2020, it has been quite the year. I was thinking we're just now completing the 11th month of this year, and it feels like it's 11 years built into one year. You know, I, it's been tough for some of us, even as we engage in this Christmas season, we have the decorations up in this room, you know, we, we're, we're talking through a Christmas series that begins today. I, I don't know about you, for, for me in my house, like, like two or three weeks ago, I was a little tired of this year and said, let's go ahead and put up the Christmas decorations. So we had a tree up like three weeks ago at my house. Some of you may have done that. I was ready to get this thing on and see the holiday season here. But this has been a tough year, has it not? Our nation has struggled. It's been tough to see from politics to the racial divide in our country. To, on top of all of that, we've had to deal with this virus from, from how we're handling it as a people and then down to the personal level, a lot of us are feeling it right now with people we know that are sick that right now that are in the hospital, we have church members there. We, we feel this year. You may be worried about your health. And if, if you haven't worried enough there, maybe, maybe at some point you've worried about losing your job. Or if you haven't worried about losing your job, you've had to worry about going to your job because you're an essential worker 
and you're on the front line every day. On top of all of that, you have your daily stresses that you would have had anyway. Things going on in your life that you're praying for and struggling over, lost loved ones that you're burdened for, people that have sinned, that have cost you throughout the year. All of that builds to a pretty difficult 2020. All of this stress places on us. And you know, one of the things I notice when I see godly people under stress, whenever I sit with somebody I know that loves the Lord and you hear them talk, what comes out of their mouth is a statement about a trust in a providential, sovereign God that is working his plan in their life. Have you ever heard that from a suffering saint? As you know, they're going through some sort of terrible physical suffering or they're going through a, a time that, that you know is hurtful and, and is really tragic in their life. But yet out of their mouth come these statements about this God who is providentially working his plan in the midst of their suffering. Did you know that God is always at work making massive providential plans happen? He makes promises carry out throughout all of time. They echo from the very beginning of creation. And as we look at Genesis 3 today, we're, and as we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the echoes of his promises from the very beginning. He started a plan in the garden that we celebrate at Christmas. Adam and Eve had this perfect relationship with God walking with him, and then they were deceived by the serpent. They ate of the tree, and at that moment, judgment came, and God didn't show up without a plan and without some idea with what's going to happen. As we see Genesis 3 unfold, God comes in, and he says, here's what's going to happen, and we'll see that promise echoed throughout all of Scripture, because Christmas began with a promise. Christmas began with a promise. And that promise is fulfilled in Christ. All the way throughout the scriptures, these announcements, here is the one that has come. Here is the Messiah that has arrived. It's because from the very beginning, God began a plan to save his people. So I want to take us all the way back to Genesis 3 and look at some things that happen right here in verse 15 that will, that will set the course of history. All of what we know today come, comes from these early days in Genesis. We can see much from verse 15. And I'll give you three, just three simple points today that begin with this promise. So let me give you the first one. The promise began with a curse. The promise began with a curse. In order to need a Savior, we must need something to be saved from. In order to need someone to come to fulfill this promise, we need someone to save us from this curse. You know, Adam and Eve fell into sin, and the Lord immediately goes into action. Look at verse 15. We'll just start with the first two words. I don't want you to miss them. It says, I will. God's, God's going to work. This is not what you will do. God's going to do these things. Now look at what it says. I will put 
enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. So between the, between the serpent and the woman and between their offspring, God says he's going to put enmity. Let's spend a minute on that word, enmity. It, it's, a, it's a word that doesn't, it's not like a short-term uh, fight. We're talking about long-term, ongoing hostility between two people, meaning there is a war set up between two different groups. This isn't like a brother and sister who fight for a few minutes and then get along after that. This is an ongoing, bitter family feud that lasts generations and generations where there is no friendliness on either side. So when God says this, there will be a battle, a cosmic battle that begins from this moment on. There will be enmity between, at this point, he says, you and the woman. It started there, but it goes to their offspring. Notice it says, between your offspring and, you know, the woman's offspring. From the serpent to the woman. The woman is, of course, Eve, and the serpent is, of course, Satan himself. And now they are at war with one another. But this moment isn't just about the two of them. It's about all of creation from this point on would groan with this battle between Satan and his worldly powers and the war with the kingdom of God and Christ himself. Now that sin has entered this picture, peace is gone. The peace of the garden is gone, and this struggle in this world has begun. So as we look at 2020 and all the struggles we face, you can take that word enmity. This this kind of struggle we have among us is showing up. So this very thing that happens right here is the struggle of the world that we live in. There is no peace. And by no peace, the Lord who made it where you can't be at peace with sin. Now follow with me here for a moment. In some ways, part of this curse is a blessing to us. God in his infinite grace did not allow us to touch the fire and not get burned. He did not allow us to follow the serpent and live in the poison of what lies he gives us and not feel the pain of following it. My dad asked, my son asked me this question the other day. He said, Dad, why is there pain? It was a simple child question. Why is there pain, Dad? I said, well, son, you, know, you don't want to touch the fire and have it be burning you and not feel it. It's a warning sign telling you to stop what you're doing. So so in this world, the Lord did not want us to be friends with the devil. He did not want us to have this relationship with the poison that would kill us and not feel it. Sin hurts. And God in his infinite love, when we took in the poison, made us sick so that we would look for a medicine. We would look for a balm and a healer found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The struggle and the strife that we experience is all meant to make us run to the one who made the promise of Christ. 
So you today in your struggle, you, you may find those pains to be difficult, but every time you taste of the world's poison and you feel the taste of this enmity, it is the kindness of the Lord turning you heart, your heart from that poison and turning your heart towards him, the God of peace. So when God laid this out in our path, when it says, I will put enmity, it was his kindness to make our heart long for a Savior. So before we could ever look to Christmas and sing the praises of the coming king, we have to know we need this coming king. So what do we celebrate at Christmas? We celebrate a God who did not leave us in our sin, but we celebrate and we yearn for the Messiah and a Savior. So in our state, how sweet are the words from Isaiah 9 when it says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And listen to the last phrase there. He'll be the Prince of Peace. What comes with the Messiah is that peace will reign with him. So the promise we looked at today begins with a curse, but it also began with a Savior as well. Christ is in the picture here in Genesis chapter 3. The promise began with a Savior. Began with Jesus in mind. It's amazing to see how God was not surprised that immediately he begins his gospel solution, pointing to the coming Savior. You can find it in just a few words here in this short verse. If you read it down, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, and then here's the two words, her offspring or her seed. The solution would come from the offspring of Eve. The term is not plural, it's singular. There is one to come that will be born from her line that will be able to crush the serpent. Notice it there. If you say, well, how do you know it's a person? Notice the last phrase there. It says, he shall bruise your head. There is a he on the way. So this Seed that comes from the woman and the miraculous virgin birth is in picture here too as well. Because from the woman, the woman does not have a seed so we know that God the Father is involved here. And so we can see the picture of a miraculous virgin birth found in Genesis 3 of an offspring who would come and save his people. And now even as he will uh, you know, it's fascinating here. I find this in this point in Genesis 3. You know, God comes into the garden and he blesses his people uh, by allowing them to be fruitful and multiply. Through childbirth would be the blessing in the garden. And then even after the fall, when childbirth would become a painful reality, he's still going to use the birth of a child to redeem his people. It's a beautiful picture of how God is at work in our salvation. This great act of redemption is something God has thought out. You know, right out of the gate, he has the picture of what he will do long down the road. 
This is his immediate plan that he will fulfill in Christ. Meaning that God is calling what he's going to do and then down the road he's going to fulfill exactly what he said he's going to do. Just like Babe Ruth might point at his shot at the, the field and the home run he's going to take and just hope, because he's just a mere man, he can do it. God is unlike that. He calls his shot knowing he can completely fulfill what he's going to do here. He is going to carry out his promises found in the virgin birth. Now, there is a question that comes from this as well. So the Bible opens with this promise, and it, it says there will be this seed from the woman, and it will come and crush, he will come and crush Satan. Now, it doesn't tell us a name. It do, doesn't tell us when. And so from the very beginning in Genesis 3.15, there is a question posed in the Bible, is there will be this coming Savior, and then the rest of the Bible is looking for this Messiah. It's not just the story of Genesis 3. We go throughout the entire Old Testament, and every time you see a figure raised up, you see them fall in some sort of way. You see Noah, you say, well, he's right after this. Maybe it's Noah. He's the one God saved the world through the ark. But no, Noah sinned in his drunkenness. Maybe it's Abraham. Abraham could be this great Messiah. He's this great man of faith. No, Abraham laughed at God. Maybe, maybe it could be Moses. Moses is going to be the one to save his people, leads his people out of the promised land. No, Moses can't even go into the promised land at the end of his life. Maybe it's the great King David. He's this great figure that leads Israel. Maybe he's this Messiah, but no, Bathsheba proved to be too great a temptation for him. There is no judge, king, or priest in the Old Testament that will fulfill this great hope. You cannot find it in any part of the Old Testament. And so that's why this promise builds all the way to the Gospels where it is fulfilled when it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That is the great celebration. Simeon walks in, holds him up, says, My eyes have seen your salvation. Anna the, the prophetess will walk in and say, This is the redemption of Israel right here. The Gospels will be written, as John will say, so that you might believe Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. So when we look at this promise here, it's a question that's posed throughout the entire Bible and throughout all of history. And so then when we reach Christ, we reach the fulfillment of God's great hope of salvation. Christ is the answer to Genesis 3.15. And that's him working on this great, grand scale. He is working for all of eternity to save his people. Now, if you're a person, if you know, you sit there and you say, man, I know I'm not a Christian. I'm listening to the sermon. Maybe you're, maybe you're sitting with family and watching it online, or maybe you came today and you know that you're not a Christian, here's what I want you to hear from this moment, is that God loves you and has worked all of history to save you and me and us. 
That's been his plan, and he desires to see you trust Christ today. For Christians, we should know if God can work this grand story and plan of all of history, he can handle 2020. He can handle what's going on in your life or in this world today. He has worked through so many things in all of history. 2020 is small for what he is able to do. So trust a big God with a big plan to save us. And so when we celebrate Christmas, we don't just celebrate the manger or what's happening there. We celebrate what God has done for all of time to save his people. But he's had a plan. There was a way in which he would do this, a way in which he would actually save his people, and he's going to do it through Christ. And so then I want to show you this plan. The third thing is the promise began with a plan. The promise began with a plan. <clears throat> From the very beginning, the Lord knew that we could not do this on our own. He knew that we needed grace in order to be saved. Now, one might think, that after being removed from the garden because of sin, that God would come back with a list of re-entry requirements. It would seem natural to say that God would roll back out and say, you've been removed from the garden, here's the 50 things I need you to do. If you do these 50 things, then you can come back in to the garden. But that's not what God did. He didn't come out with a list of law, of legalistic requirements. He said, I will do these things. And the singular offspring found in Christ will be the way in which God gives us re-entry to peace with him. Now notice the last two phrases, and we'll notice first who, who how both people are bruised. That's how I'll put it. Look what it says. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So he, being Christ, the Messiah, shall bruise the head of the serpent, and you, being the serpent, shall bruise his heel. Let's first look at how the serpent will bruise Christ. You see, Christ will go to the cross for our sins, and in that moment on the cross will we'll be crucified and die. He will suffer that death. That will be the bruising of the heel, but this bruising is not final. It, it's not going to hold Christ down, and he will rise again, and so this blow will not be crushing to Christ. So that's what's going to happen with Christ. But because the Son of God came, now the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan the serpent will be dealt a final blow. Says Christ will bruise him on the head. On his head, he would be crushed. Now the serpent is more than just a snake here. He is the father of lies. He's told Eve a lie, Adam and Eve alive there in the garden, as he has told them how this tree is holding them back, how God is not telling them the truth, 
He's begun to lay out an empty lie that will not be fulfilled for them. And in his enmity with this world, he would continue to be the father of lies. Jesus will call him that. This serpent will spend all of creation, all of our time, creating empty, deceitful lies. If you're following the world today, if you are walking and following the course of this world and not following Christ, everything you're following is an empty lie. It will not pan out. The hope of this world will end with an empty hope at the end of it. And so for us, we look at this serpent and he's lied as the father of lies, but let's, let's peer to the end of time and how this promise will play out. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. So now what we just did is we tied Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 12 to this ancient serpent and the promise who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He's the deceiver. So we started with a simple lie in the garden. Jesus calls him the father of lies. And now at the very end, he has been the deceiver of the entire world. But this ancient serpent has gone to all of these levels to deceive, but it all ends empty for him because he will not function as the liar to all of creation forever. Because Revelation chapter 20, verse 2 says, and he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. He bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the pit. He shut it and he sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. And then if you skip down to verse 10, he finishes it off. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. The promise that was given in Genesis chapter 3 of crushing his head would be fulfilled in Christ when he was born. He would conquer that at the cross. And then now at the very end of time, he would finish that with Satan himself. You see, he's fulfilling the story of all the ages that he would be the Messiah to come. That man was removed from the garden and needed a savior Man needed this grace found in Christ. And by this grace promised in him, we at Christmas celebrate the birth of the one who would come and conquer death and sin. Now this is all by the grace of God. I hope you see this, that God's plan from the very beginning wasn't that you would ever work for your salvation. His plan is that he would send someone else who would then earn your salvation. All of your salvation is earned in the Lord Jesus Christ. His work, his work on the cross and his work with Satan himself to remove the father of lies. So how does this connect to the Christmas story? It connects because when we celebrate the coming of this Savior, we celebrate the one who would fulfill all of what was needed for all of time. He would be the one who would be this Savior, Jesus Christ the Lord, the one who would come and save us from our sins, 
redeem us from our uh, love of this world and remove our love from the father of lies. So what I'd like to do as we close our time together today, I want to end with some, some questions, some things to think on in response to this text. So if you will, just would bow your head and close your eyes with me and I'd like to ask you a few things to think and pray on today. We've looked at God's great plan of how he intends to save us. We've looked at how he is able to work all, all of time to his own doing. I want to ask you a direct question. Are you trusting God and his providential plan for your life? Like, is there some sort of doubt in your heart right now that you, you would say it out loud, but deep inside you know that you're questioning whether God is good, whether God is working. And today you need to circle back around and say, Lord, I know I've been doubting you. I know I haven't had faith. Maybe you say it like, like that one man said to Jesus. He said, Lord, I need faith. I need you to give me faith. So Lord, help me to trust you today. Are you worried about something today? Is there something you've been worrying and thinking about and running around in your mind over and over and over again? And you need to take that worry, take it back to God's great plan and say, Lord, I trust you with it today. I just want you where you're praying right now, just say, Lord, I trust you with this very thing. Now I want to ask you a second question. We talked about how Satan is the father of lies. He is the one who places things in front of us with some promise and, and unlike God, he will not fulfill those promises. So maybe you're here and you know that your life has been on the wrong track. Maybe you're watching online. You say, I need to turn from this world and I need to turn to Christ. I know I've been putting my life in these lies. I can feel it. Maybe today is the day you place your faith in Jesus alone to save you. And you turn your life from the lies of this world and you turn it to Christ. Maybe, maybe you're a Christian here and you've You've just been struggling a little bit with a sin or there's been something tempting you and you need the reminder today that every, every part and hope of that sin in your life, it's a lie. It will not give you the joy or the fulfillment you think you would get. So maybe today you want to say, Lord, I confess that sin to you because I'm done pursuing that empty lie. Heavenly Father, we know that you are the God who saves. We know that you are the God who is at work in our midst. And Lord, we know you are the God who has turned our hearts from this world and turned them towards you. So Lord, I pray now that you would turn us from our sin 
and turn us towards you. Lord, I pray for those that are lost, they would be saved today. And Lord, I pray for this great hope of Christmas that even in 2020, Lord, as we face a difficult year, that we would look on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive hope and joy because we know that you are a good and loving God. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.